Last Sunday morning, we embarked upon a new series of studies entitled Encountering the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing with those studies this morning and turning to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. And this morning, we're looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday morning, we were studying Romans chapter 8 about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so that theme continues in our reading from Galatians today. And in fact, not only does it continue, but the Apostle Paul uses identical language. So if you were with us last Sunday in Romans chapter 8, what we read here in Galatians chapter 5 will sound very familiar, especially the opening few verses. So let's begin Galatians 5 verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, envy, drunkenness, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Almost 25 years ago, I received a phone call out of the blue And it was a man in his mid-forties asking if I would help with a funeral service for his father. He went on to tell me when I met with him and the rest of the family that for the last 10 to 12 years, his father had been the main caregiver for his mom. But unfortunately, his mom had fallen ill, been taken to hospital And in those early days of his mom being in hospital, his father passed away. That family were absolutely convinced that the dad had given so much of himself into caring for his wife that he damaged and neglected his own health. And now that he knew she was in safe hands in hospital, he simply gave up and slipped away. 
As I heard that story and prepared the service, we agreed that the following Tuesday at two o'clock we would hold the service. And I was glad to do it. And after the service was complete, I didn't get a chance to chat to the family. They were so busy with aunts and uncles and cousins and grandchildren, I simply slipped away. That evening, the telephone rang, and I saw this man's number, and I assumed he's phoning to say, Richard, thank you. We didn't get a chance to meet afterwards, but I just want to say we appreciate what you were able to do today for my mom or for my dad, and we are most grateful. But that's not what he said. What he said was this. Richard, when the service started today at 2 o'clock, My mom passed away right at two o'clock. And here was a family just having lost a dad, now lost a mom. And the timing for that family was, in fact, significant. Here was a couple who'd been married for 60 years. 60 years. And, of course, the first day they were married, they changed as a couple. They changed because they no longer only had to think about me and my and mine, but they changed to have to think about we and ours and together. And at the end of their married life, they were legally no more married than they were the moment they were proclaimed husband and wife. But the relationship grew and developed over those decades. It took on a new significance as their love for each other developed and grew deeper and richer. And not only did it grow deeper and richer, they did, in fact, take on that new identity. And like any couple who have been married for a long time, they would inevitably end up finishing each other's sentences. They were able, after 50-something years, going on 60, able to know each other's needs and wants and preferences. They were able, in fact, to do a little mind-reading, as any couple married for that length of time is able to do. As I am telling you this story, you may be sitting there this morning thinking, Richard, thank you for sharing with me, and I appreciate the point you're making, But what on earth does that have to do with Galatians chapter 5? The fruits of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me explain. Because when a person is exposed to the gospel, and they come to that point in their life where they surrender their life to Christ, and they are awakened inside, and for the first time they realize his love and his grace, they are changed. They take on a new identity. They belong to him. And their relationship with him in subsequent years get richer and deeper and fuller. They, in fact, become a Christian, a new identity. They seek to follow him They seek to have Christ influence and impact and transform their lives. They seek to live a Christian life. And they have within them the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. 
And how many times over recent years have we opened up the Scripture on a Sunday morning and discovered that the Scripture teaches again and again and again that the Christian has the indwelling power and enabling of the Holy Spirit because the same moral and supernatural Spirit that brought Christ back from the dead now lives in us. And he grants to us a supernatural power to follow Christ in ways we could not imagine possible before we surrendered our lives to Him. And His enabling grace and love strengthens us and equips us and draws us into that deeper sense of identity, that fuller, richer sense of His love. It's almost like a five-year-old trying on his dad's coat. And of course, it's so long and the sleeves and the hem of the jacket is way down over the wee boy's feet. And of course, it doesn't fit. But as he grows and develops and gets to ages 9 and 10 and 11 and then into his teenage years and then into early adulthood, he begins to grow and develop And eventually he grows up into manhood. And likewise with the Christian life. And here is the Apostle Paul writing in Galatians, probably his first epistle, written around the years 49 to 55 AD. And he's writing to several churches in the area called Asia Minor, today modern day Turkey, the area of Galatia, and he's writing to them to encourage them in their faith. He's writing to them to say, do you realize the enormity and the significance of what has happened to you? The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he empowers you to live out your faith day by day. Over the Easter break, I started a new book called Union with Christ, and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And in there, Rankin Wilburn, the author, writes this, Christianity is a life of faith, but it's a life of faith. Often as Christian people with the best intentions, we focus on the faith aspect, and we should But sometimes we forget it's the Christian life. It's a life of faith. In other words, we should be living it out day by day. And that's exactly where the Apostle Paul is taking his readers. When he writes, and so I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And then he says, they are in conflict with each other. And then Paul writes words that are extremely challenging. Words that dig deep into our very soul. And in fact, the entire epistle of Galatians is just like that. As Paul is writing this, his first epistle, as I mentioned, he writes in terms that are energized and focused. He is, in this epistle, direct, even feisty. 
He hides nothing. He speaks in clear and plain terms. And he says to them, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He lays it out in clear, uncertain manner. And what he's saying to his first century readers and also to us in the 21st century, if you are ever to grow and mature in your faith, you're going to need the enabling power and grace of the Holy Spirit working in you because it's a life of faith. And of course, he's right. He's right. And he is saying to us, as someone who seeks to follow Christ each day, Christ expects from you godliness in your life. Not just public life, not just when you're engaging with family and friends, interacting with people at work, but in your private life as well in your thought process and in your desires. He expects godliness, holiness. He expects us to be Christ-like in our lifestyle choices. And he says, and in order to help you, in order to support and sustain and encourage you, I am going to give you the Holy Spirit to strengthen and enable you. And that's exactly what he's saying because he then quickly says to us, move away, move away, put behind you the pathology and deviancy of your sin and live for Christ. And he goes on to say, if you live for him, if you're maturing in your faith, you will see the fruits of the Spirit in your life. And so he gives us this list of nine attributes when he writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and kindness, and patience, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when the Spirit of God is at work, we should see changes in our life. Again, not just the outward life, but also the inner life. Our motivations, our desires, our very disposition, our character changes when we follow Him. I've broken this morning these attributes into sections of three. And the first three are an upward direction. Love, joy, and peace. They come essentially out of our relationship with God through the empower and enabling of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is intentional in his language. He's intentional in the picture he paints. And he's painting here the image of fruit. Quite intentionally. If you have been with us over the last few months on Sunday morning, you may well remember that back in the middle of March, we spent time in John's Gospel. And there in John chapter 15, Jesus uses the same analogy of 
plants and trees that bear fruit. And in fact, the night before his crucifixion, he spoke very sincerely in an intimate manner with his disciples and he said to them, My father is a gardener and he prunes the vine and he cuts away all of the dead growth. The bark that no longer belongs there, he takes away. The branches and limbs that go off in this direction, in this direction, in this direction, that are of no good, he begins to prune them back. And often he does so deeply. And when God begins to look at our lives and draw to our attention the areas that need to be pruned, there are times when he will prune and trim, and then prune deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's almost as if we are crying out, Father, stop this, please. And he is saying, I am pruning that you might bear much fruit. That was the analogy in the Gospel. Paul is continuing it here. And he says of the Christian, the preeminence of the fruit of the Spirit of God is that of love. That's why he begins with love, because we know what it means to be loved by Christ. We know what it means for him to touch us, heart and soul and mind, and change us and transform us. And please hear this, and let me say it as carefully as I can, that the Christian is not only exposed to the divine love of God, but that love is deeply personal. It is transformative. It brings change into our lives, every aspect of our lives. And then he expects it to grow. And it grows in direct proportion of the time we spend in His presence, seeking His hand upon us. And why is love number one? Because we know what it means to be loved by Christ. Not in some general, broad sense, but deeply, profoundly. And we in turn fall in love with Him. And it's not enough for the Christian to say, well, I have a broad understanding of the love of God. But it's deep and powerful, divine, transformative. It is comprehensive and exhaustive. And it begins with love. And then it moves to joy. Now, you might be watching this morning and saying, now, Richard, wait a minute. I thought you were a Presbyterian. Presbyterians don't talk much about joy. We don't focus much on joy. If you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Charismatic, joy will be with you every moment of every day. But Presbyterians, not so much. For Presbyterians, our joy is so deep, it's hidden, and you almost never see it. Almost never see it. We are, after all, God's frozen chosen. Despite all of my silliness and teasing, there is for the Christian a deep, profound, 
abiding joy. Not only is it deep and profound and abiding, it never leaves us. There are moments when we are hurt, hurt badly, grieving and disappointed that things did not turn out the way we had prayed for or longed for. But that doesn't mean the joy isn't still there and deep and profound. That doesn't lessen our relationship with Christ in the least. And in fact, what we discover, and we're about to see it, as we move from joy to peace, is this. That in the midst of our most difficult, trying circumstance, the peace of Christ can be a living reality for us. If you're watching this morning and have been disappointed recently, it may in fact be in the midst of this global pandemic, you've lost your job, your business has folded And you're uncertain about what comes next and you're fearful and you're not sure how to cope. For you it may well seem that your entire life, all your hopes, all your dreams, all your wants are almost like a jigsaw puzzle that has been tipped onto the floor and the pieces scatter in all directions and several have gone under the couch and others under the table and several others under a chair. And you are so wounded and so hurt, the only thing you can do is fall to your knees and say, Lord, what on earth are you doing? I thought you promised me through the indwelling of your spirit of love and joy and peace. Where is it now when my life is turning to dust in front of me? And you don't even have the energy to begin to look at the pieces. Never mind, put it all back together. And that's the moment when your only choice is to absolutely and utterly depend on Him amidst the grief, the hurt, the pain that you cannot deal with. That's when His Holy Spirit with great tenderness lifts you onto His lap. And he reminds you of those wonderful words. When peace, like a river. Do you remember that hymn? Do you remember the chorus? It is well with my soul. Not because of the circumstances of our life. Not because of the disappointment. Not because of the situation. Because if your peace is determined by your circumstance and situation, it will never be entirely peaceful. Because they change. And change, so it seems in this day and age, fairly frequently. But right there at the very core of your being is the peace of Christ. And as Paul moves us on from the upward direction, he moves us to an outward direction. And following peace comes patience and kindness and goodness. And patience, why? Patience is another word for long-suffering, for hanging in their dedication and commitment when life is not making sense and things are not going well and you're fearful and uncertain. You can trust 
him. He gives to you patience. I've got you. You're mine. I've got you. And the amazing thing is this, that the peace and the patience never come by our own strength. It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of how much we try in our own strength, it will never work. But when we spend time with Him, when we nurture and cultivate and nourish that relationship with Him, then the peace and the patience comes. And then He's pruning away in the midst of it all. Why kindness and goodness? Because we have been exposed to the kindness and goodness of God. We are the recipients of His grace and His love. And our immediate instinctive response to the spiritual income is a spiritual outcome. Showing kindness and goodness to folks in your neighborhood. Phoning people up. I know it's been five or six weeks. I know we're struggling. How can I help? How can I help? The fruits of the Spirit in our life. And then as he moves us forward, we have the final three attributes. As Paul lays out for us, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Faithfulness is simply this, hanging on for the long term. Keep going. Christian faith is not about a passion for six months. It's year after year after year as the five-year-old becomes nine and ten and then becomes into the teen years and then early adulthood and then matures as an individual. It's a lifelong process of following him, staying close to him, surrendering and submitting to his rule and reign day by day by day. It's never a quick fix because he's interested in making you more Christ-like. That's his ultimate goal. Ultimate goal. The fruit of the Spirit is comprehensive in its character. Universal by nature and Christ-like in essence. Comprehensive every aspect of our life. Universal, internal wants, desires, passions, motivations, as well as the external, and Christ-like in essence. That's exactly what Paul is laying out for us here. And in fact, he puts it this way, keep in step with the Spirit of God. Don't run ahead of Him. Don't fall behind, but keep in step as he's leading and guiding and directing your life. Stay close to him. And then finally, as Paul wraps it all up together, he reminds the Galatians what we don't like to be reminded of. And in some senses, The sting in this passage is in the tail because having laid out for us the enabling, empowering of the Holy Spirit, having encouraged us to keep in step with Him, He now tells us that if we are to produce fruit in our lives, it is conditional. It is conditional. What does He say? 
he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So as we wrap this up this morning, let me finally ask, are you following and applying what Paul is encouraging us to do? And he's very clear in the passage. It's crystal clear. There's no getting round it. Notice again what he says, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Have you grasped the enormity of what he's asking? What Paul is telling us is this. If you are keeping in step with the Spirit, if you're walking with Him day by day, if you're cultivating and nourishing that relationship, you will day by day by day have that empowering, enabling grace of God, but also your desire will be to crucify the sinful nature that will tempt you and appeal to you so enticing, so attractive, and Paul says, crucify it, put it to death. He doesn't say marginalize it, he doesn't say minimize it, he doesn't say if it's okay if there's a little there in your life. He's saying if you are ever to be Christ-like in your life, you need to put to death the sinful desires, the deviancy, and pathology of sin that will wreck a life, utterly disrupt it. And he's saying that takes prayer and it takes effort, but by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who prunes and strips away and then empowers growth and maturity. That's the essence of the passage. I trust this week, as you seek to live out your faith, remember what we said towards the very beginning, it's the Christian life. We have to live it out. Then you will discover more of his empowering, more of his strengthening, more of his enabling. May that be our experience this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning and thank you for its challenge upon our lives. Help each of us this morning to be sensitive and aware and conscious of the calling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us to submit and surrender to your pruning and your enabling grace in our lives. Help us to look at the areas of our lives that need to change. Father, bless us, strengthen us, encourage us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.